Hello, and welcome to Leading Inspired Learning, a Strive podcast. Welcome, I am Liz. I use she, they pronouns. I am the Strive ECE Professional Resource Center intern for the summer, and I'll be your host on today's episode. Today, we welcome Abby Bust, an REC master's student of U of T, OISE, and a program director at the organization Why We March. Welcome, Abby. Hello. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank and you. I'm here. excited to be here. I'm here, excited to hear all about your all your research and the organization you work with. So would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself, your position, pronouns? Yeah. So I am Abby Bust, um, she, her pronouns. Uh, so I'm an REC here in London. So I work for the school board. I'm also a master's student in curriculum pedagogy at U of T Oise, and I'm just um, writing my thesis right now. Um, and then I'm also on a board of directors for Why We March. And Why We March is an organization here in London. Um, it started in 2016 after the Pulse nightclub shooting by um, our executive director, Dustin Boehm. Um, and I'm pretty new to the organization. So I just started last October, um, but it's been, it's been absolutely amazing. What is Why We March? What are you guys doing within London? Uh, okay, so Why We March is a organization here that was started in, as I said earlier, the 2016, um, right after the 2016 Pulse nightclub shooting. And it was, um, your executive director, Dustin, uh, noticed that there was a need in London and not a lot of supports for the 2SLGBTQIA um, community. So he started why we march and um, we became a registered nonprofit in 2021 and started to receive funding and grants last year so in 2022 um, now our biggest project that we're trying to do out of why we march is the prism community hub and the whole idea behind prism community hub is a space with different programming for the queer community and hopefully we can you know allow other organizations as well to use that space right just really just a hub for the queer community um, so yeah, and then we have other projects that go as well. So I am the program coordinator, so I come up with programs. So right now our biggest program is Community Conversations and it's run on the third Friday of every month. Um, so we're actually doing one this Friday before Pride weekend and we're actually talking about Pride. Uh, but we pick different topics that are important to the queer community, have people come out, and we just kind of have a conversation um, discussing their needs, uh, their wants, their experiences. That, that's yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yes, so that's what we're doing right now. Yeah. Um, we're working on some other programming, like coming up with hopefully some other organizations here in London. Um, I'm looking at doing some, like I have to be careful what I say, but I'm looking <laughs> before I, you know, solidify it. Yes, but, um, you know, we're looking at like games nights and just stuff like that to kind of bring people together. Community um, nights and bringing people yeah, back uh, to community. Yes. So like building those relationships within London. We, yeah. We talked about it before, but we noticed that's something that's like seriously lacking. Like the, the community aspect has kind of like dissipated over the past couple of years with like the pandemic and everyone like kind of <clears throat> being having to be distant and having to move away from each other and all the hate that everyone's getting. It's been hard to find safe community and find people that you feel like you can trust. So I think that what Why We March is doing is amazing because I definitely feel like that is a need that I personally have is I don't have that community a lot of the time before I got here, before I started school, like finding that community was really hard for me. So I 
really, really appreciate what you guys are doing. Thanks. And that's amazing. And I know that just um, speaking to people in the community, um, you know, and I think just something that was actually brought up at our first community conversations was just how much community London lacks. And not even just in the queer community, but just in general, right? And even in the queer community, something that we've heard a lot is like, you know, infighting, issues like that. And so we're really just wanting to eliminate that, right? And just have a safe space for everybody. Create that intersectional, like, relationship with everyone, that there's no inward hate towards each other. Because, like, we noticed that too, right? Those little things that it's like, well, you're not queer enough, or you're not this enough, or you're not this or whatever and it's it happens within our own community because of all that like internalized homophobia which is so hard yeah so we just want a place where everybody can feel safe and welcome and you know not judged and that's amazing yeah that sounds really cool so you guys have a physical space well we don't have a physical space yet so we kind of do so right now we're running out of our temporary home of innovation works so we're co-tenants at innovation works Um, so it's nice to have that space where we can do our meetings, we can bring in other meetings, we can rent out rooms to, um, you know, do our, uh, programs out of stuff like that. Um, we are working on finding a space. Um, it is difficult, right? With the price, everything in London, and then we are looking for like a very specific type of space. But like I said, we've been super fortunate to, you know, have funders within the last year, so we are hoping, um, you know, in a few years we will have that, you know, dream of opening our space. But like I said, for right now, we're super fortunate for Innovation Works. Um, we're super fortunate for the people who are supporting us. Um, and yeah, just looking forward to, you know, what's happening in the next few years. Yeah. So you mentioned that you are a master's student of UTOEZ. Do you want to talk about your research a little bit? Uh, yeah, doing? sure. Um, so yeah, I'm a master's student in UT Oise. Um, I'm also a disabled woman. So I have a learning disability that actually fun, like interestingly enough is it's a wide debate as to whether or not it is autism or not autism. So they don't actually know. Um, it's not like other learning disabilities and this is relevant to my research. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, called NVLD or nonverbal learning disorders. So I have some like, you know, social differences, stuff like that. Um, But it does kind of mimic um, high functioning autism in some ways. And so as a kid, it was like, I was very, very misunderstood. Um, I was told I would never go to university. The exact words to my mom were, oh, she's very intelligent, but she's just not that kind of intelligent. And You know, I struggled so much as a kid and I was bullied so much because of my social differences and, um, you know, I masked so much who I am and then I ended up developing like a very severe anxiety disorder where I was having up to eight panic attacks a day and I really just didn't like believe in myself. And so I ended up going to college for ECE and while I was there, um, there was an accessibility counselor who really believed in me and who... Uh, told me about a program at Ryerson and disability studies. And it was such a cool program because it's run by all disabled women. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so all disabled women. And it was the first program of its kind in Canada and one of the first of its kind in the world. Um, so there are other disability studies programs, obviously, in um, in Ontario now. But I believe at that point... It was the only one. Don't quote me on that, but I believe that it was the only one at that point. So um, I went and I 
finally, for the first time in my life, felt like I belonged somewhere. And I became really, really interested in um, a professor by the name of Dr. Catherine Underwood and her work and which was in, you know, a lot of stuff with like inclusion and specifically something called radical inclusion. And I took a course of hers um, and I read this book by a woman named Anat Greenstein, I believe is how you pronounce her last name. And she wrote a book on radical inclusive education. And the point behind radical inclusive education was um, basically like almost like inclusive education, but through more of like a disability studies perspective. So, you know, the dominant narrative today is obviously through a medical model perspective, right? Trying to, you know, fix the child, mold the child to fit into the system. A lot of things that say that they're inclusive are not. Um, a lot of what is still taught to, you know, educators today is is not inclusive, right, um, in this way. So the idea behind radical inclusion is changing the system, right, or making systemic changes um, so that, you know, disabled people don't have to fit into a box. Um, so a lot of my research is in that. So what what radical inclusion is not is forced inclusion. So we don't believe that disabled people should be forced to, um, you know, be part of the systems that oppress them. Um, but, you know, I'd look at it for me anyway as kind of a choice to be included. Yeah, everyone deserves that choice. Exactly. So what I became very interested in is that um, it started in my undergrad and I was reading some studies specifically on teachers um, and a few programs that did this like radical inclusive perspective and taught about the social model and the social relational model of disability um, through like, let's like they taught that in their like inclusion courses in teachers college or like their spec ed classes. I don't like that term, but you know what I mean, yeah. for lack of a better word. Because Here. there isn't one yet. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, so uh, yeah, so they taught things a little bit differently and they found that it really changed like teachers perspectives, right? Like on disability and inclusion and all that kind of stuff. So um, my research that I'm working on right now, um, which I will be starting hopefully really soon, there's been some speed bumps along the way because of COVID and finding a second reader and oh my goodness, but we're almost there. And um, we, so my research is looking at early childhood educators and presenting them again with radical inclusion, social and social relational models of disability. So something that maybe some of them have not been introduced to before and seeing how their views toward disability and inclusion change. That's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. That's something like definitely we can probably help you with finding those ECs because you said you are having, we can put them on the website. And yeah. Get some, get some volunteers out here. and <laughs> That would be fantastic because I know ECs, of course, but I'd like to get some from the students. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And hopefully some, well, not even just students, like hopefully just different organizations, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and then also, like, I feel like I am not as connected as I was because although I do still work, I supply as an EC here in London. I'm in the school board, so a lot of who I work with is obviously, like, teachers, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm just interested in meeting new people for this, too, so, yeah, yeah. definitely. That makes a lot of sense. So with your job and your research, uh, how can these things support the ECEC professionals and how can it be used to support children and families do you think That's so okay. I'm hoping that again um, obviously I am just one disabled voice yeah. but I am hoping that I can for ECs can open up kind of a different perspective um, and hopefully make things I don't want to say like you know easier because it's never easy but 
a little easier, <laughs> okay? Um, and just, yeah, but I think, like, the main thing I'm trying to do here is, yeah, support the children and the families and um, as well as the educators in, yeah, just this, like, new perspective, right? Looking at disability in a different way. Like, So how can your research support ECEC professionals and how can that in turn support children and families? Uh, so I think it can support ECE um researchers in and just ECs in general in getting kind of a different perspective on disability and inclusion right so just seeing things a little bit differently and in turn that's going to support families because and specifically children because hopefully in turn they won't feel forced to you know um, integrate right and to mask and to be somebody who they aren't and I don't think that that's ever an educator's intention um, but I do just think that it's a result of the system, right? And what we're taught and what we, you know, grew up with. So I'm hoping that it could just give, like I said, people a different perspective, educators a different perspective, um, you know, help give them tools on how to kind of implement, um, you know, this radical inclusion. And then also, like I said, in turn, uh, really help, you know, families and children who are disabled feeling more accepted. Definitely. So in also, with, with your job, with Why We March, do you think that they have any, like, possibility of supporting EC professionals, or how do you think they can support the EC profession, like, <sighs> children and families? Like, I know that community aspect and relationships is huge. So I think it would be mostly through community and, um, like, those relationships, right? So definitely, I think that helping families in our community does indirectly, hopefully, help EC professionals, right? And having, you know, programs like that targeted at child and youth. Um, so I definitely think there's like a possibility there. Um, as far as ECEs, I've actually only, I think I mentioned this, but I've actually only been on the board for a little bit. So I think I started last October. So, um, I'm actually starting to kind of look into that too, right? Like how we can, but I think the big thing is like supporting children and youth and their families. Right. And then, um, continuing to work with organizations like Strive and Child Reach to, you know, kind of help. I guess, educate, right, and spread the word about things that, you know, can help ECs. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, definitely. families. That's awesome. So why do you love what you're doing? Why do I love what I'm doing? I love what I'm doing because I am incredibly passionate about what I do. Um, I never, ever thought in a million years that I would be where I am. And I am so grateful and thankful to every single person who has helped me get here and mostly to myself for continuing to like push through this. Um, And yeah, it's just, I'm just living a dream. Seriously, I'm so fortunate. Yeah, you should be proud of yourself. This is amazing stuff that you have been talking about and that you're doing. I think it's definitely a need. So you you should be very proud. Thank you. Of course. So do you have any impact stories? I know you shared um, about the disability program and how that really changed in the East, the disability counselor that helped you to feel more included and got you to where like help get you where you were today but do you have any impact stories of your own with children or like the community conversations you've been having that are like really important to you and stand out well there is one that I thought was really interesting and something that I did and it's not so much related to why we march but it's something that I think about a lot that was kind of a cool moment in my life so back about five years ago I was invited to um, run a workshop at a it's kind of almost like a youth leadership conference. It was called Shaking the Movers, and it was um, run out of Carleton in Ottawa. And so I did the education piece, and I spoke to a bunch of 
um, disabled youth and kind of like what they're experiencing in the education system. And I um, ran that workshop. And what was really interesting was that after I had these conversations and I was talking to people who worked in research, talking to like, you know, people who worked in like public policy and whatever. And I don't know if you guys know who Landon Pearson was. Uh, she passed away actually this January at 92. And she was Lester B. Pearson's daughter-in-law, I believe. And she was a huge child rights advocate in Canada. And so she had the, I think it was called the Landon Pearson Research Center at Carleton. Uh, so I actually met her and I was at a table of people and I was telling them about radical inclusion, whatever. And some of them were kind of, you know, pushing back, which is something that I'm used to. And I'll never forget when Landon Pearson looked at all of them and said, she's right, you know, and looked right at me. <laughs> Yep, that would, that would feel good. Like, I am right. <laughs> that was kind of like my, like, I guess, I don't know if that's like an impact story no, to me. That was is. like a it huge... It impacted you. It impacted me. Um, and then I think as far as like the community, these community conversations, like you said, have really been impactful on me and have helped me realize. So like, I'll be honest, I am not queer myself. Um, I became very passionate about this because my brother is, is gay. Um, and, you know, we were raised, you know, Catholic and in a Catholic system and you know I think that that was tough for him right um you know my parents are always very supportive but you know there was obviously still like issues and people yeah. that we knew and you get what I'm saying and so um I think that you know really like just working with people at these community conversations and listening to their stories and you know all the different like intersections of queerness and stuff has really impacted right it's been very yeah. very impactful um, on me, on I think just the whole entire, like I can't speak completely on behalf of Why We March, but I think it's impacted all of us to, yeah. you know, and encouraged us to keep going. That's amazing. Okay, so um, we're going to play a little bit of a game. Are you ready? I am definitely ready. Okay, so the first question is, what's your favorite children's book? Um, probably I Love You Forever by Robert Munch. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> That's my partner's favorite book. Like, it is an amazing yes. book. It is so sad, but it's so good. But honorable mention to Jillian Jiggs. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I loved those growing up. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's great. All right. Favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, my goodness. Uh, chocolate? Chocolate. It's so basic, uh, but chocolate. <laughs> it's okay. Chocolate's good. Um, something you feel excited about? Uh, ooh, what am I excited about? Uh, well, you know, other than like all of the things that I'm doing here, um, I guess that I'm super excited about finishing this master's and this thesis. Yes, I can understand that. <laughs> Definitely. And your favorite PL you've attended? Uh, so it wasn't officially a PL, but it was a Lydia Xed Brown, um, like thing at Ryerson. She was our speaker that year. Uh, back, oh my goodness, back in 2019. And I just thought like the things that she had to say were really cool surrounding like disability. So awesome. that was my favorite PL. <laughs> That's okay. And favorite podcast? Oh my goodness, right now I'm listening to the Scamanda podcast. Has anybody listened to that? <laughs> and if you have not, you need to. But I'd say I also really like um, this one. It's called Beautiful Anonymous. And this like people call in to this guy, just like random strangers. And they have a conversation for an hour. Oh, that's amazing. That yeah. so fun. <laughs> Yes, it really is. And then I'm a nerd, so I also like, like, stuff you didn't learn in history class. I or... love those ones. Yes. Oh, my gosh. 
Because especially, like, there was one that came out that was like, did you know all these people were queer? And I'm like, honestly, no, I did not. Thank you so much for telling me. No, it's really interesting. And I remember, like, back when I was in college, I worked at, like, a warehouse. I know. It's so random. (laughs) (laughs) But I worked at a warehouse, and I I used to get, like, bored, right? Because I'd be, like, picking orders and whatever. So I'd listen to podcasts. And that was, like, kind of when I started to get into podcasts. So Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming. It was an amazing conversation. And I can't wait to see what you do with your research and with Why We March. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Sorry I talk so much. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. You can connect with us on Instagram at Leading Inspired Learning Pod or on our website at striveswo.ca slash podcast. I would love to have you tell a friend or colleague about this podcast. Thanks again for listening. Please join us next time.